All right, guys. Welcome back. Um, me and Bradley are here together tonight, but not really. We are in separate places, but we're doing this over a phone, over a Zoom call and stuff. Uh, we just a lot of stuff going on in life right now is making it complicated for us to get together and, and do it face to face. But we're, yeah. gonna, we're still trying to we're still trying to make it happen. Um so I'm in the middle of, of selling our house and moving, trying to find a new house. And Bradley's in the middle of doing some home renovations and all kinds of stuff. So, you know, we're just are really busy right now. And in the midst of all that, we're trying to get ready for deer season yeah. and make podcasts. Yeah. So, yeah, we're going to probably be doing it this way for a little bit. Cause that way we can pump them out a little bit better because instead of having to wait, a month and a half between all of our podcasts because this is this is one of the most fun, fun things that we do no for real i love it but tonight we're going to talk about um pre-season scouting um the importance of it and and how basically how how to go through scouting like you know even on a piece of property that that you've had for quite a few years and hunted on it quite a few years we're going to go over just kind of in our minds of how you should go about scouting a piece of property before the season starts. Yep. Yeah. I think that's a key too. like a lot of this, a lot of the a lot of people that are listening to this, I mean, even us included, I mean, we have a piece of property that we just made a YouTube video on. Um, if you haven't checked that yeah. out, check that out. Um, we just want to start making some videos, um, but we just made a video on, on scouting a new piece of property, but it wasn't yep. even a new piece of property to us. And I think a lot of people listening to this are, you know, it's not going to be new properties that you're going to be scouting. It's going to be properties you've probably hunted for a while. And that's one thing that I've been trying to do better this year is taking the piece of property that I hunt behind my house and re-looking at it and figuring out, okay, how can I, how can I hunt this better? And I try and do that every year, but this year I'm really focusing on that. Yeah. And, and another thing is there, we're going to talk about some pretty basic stuff. Um, but we're also going to dive in deeper beyond just the basic stuff. We're going to kind of go into the whys and the hows and, and, uh, and really talk about really just breaking down scouting in general. Uh, so we hope that, you know, even if you are a very experienced hunter, you know, you'd still stay tuned and listen because, you know, you might, we might mention something that you haven't really thought of or, or anything like that and if you're new to hunting or even if you've been hunting but you've never really scouted you know i think that this this is going to help me out no oh, yeah even i know when we went out there and did that making uh, that scouting video, video helped, yeah it helped me a ton just going through it and, and talking out loud about it so yeah exactly exactly so i'm excited to jump into this you know i'm, I'm really excited to get deer season started going what do we we got um it's four weeks from yesterday is opening day of bow season for yep. us here in central North Carolina. So yeah, it's getting close. I mean, it's, it's time for sure. But, uh, you want to open us up in uh, prayer? Yeah. Definitely father. I just want to thank you for this day that you've given us. Thank you for this time that me and Jeremy are getting to finally sit down and um, do a podcast and talk about the outdoors. Um, uh, and just talk about you, God. I just pray that you just take this to the listeners that need to hear it, God. Um, the outdoor side and the side about you, God. I, I pray most importantly that they see you and hear hear you through this podcast, God. That's that's the main point of this. Uh, we just pray that we have a good time and that uh, 
You just use this, God. Your powerful name, I pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, it's it's time to get back on cam checks. Yes. Uh, which me and Bradley both have been running cameras all year. We haven't stopped. And I will say this, which we might have mentioned it in the last time. I've really, I've never ran cameras year round. And so it's been really cool to see the deer, you know, after deer season and then transition into springtime and then, you know, dropping antlers and then starting to grow. I've never watched deer grow yeah. the way I have this year. And that, that's been really cool. Yeah, that that's this is my first. I've run. I typically try and run cameras all year long, but my cameras usually die around March, April, and I most of the time forget to put batteries back in them <laughs> until July. So I miss a lot of it. But this year, I've kept the batteries up to date, and, and you know my camera in the bottom died on me in about June. So I did miss a little bit of the of some of the bucks I've got down there, but I, I've seen a lot more this year than I typically do, and it's it's been a fun process to watch. Yeah, for sure. Well, as for me. As far as cam checks, I got I I got a decent group of bucks on my on my one property, um, the one that I've hunted for the past two years. So this will be my third season on it, and there's a few bachelor groups. Um, I got a very good selection of two year olds, um, and you know I'm I'm Berkeley will be hunting this year some so he's gonna be wide open on he's gonna have an open book on whatever he wants to shoot but because i'm not going to take that fun away from him or anything like that but as for me i don't really have anything on camera i'm not going to say that i'm not excited about because i do have deer that i'm excited about and that i think look really cool but i don't they're not ones that i'm ready to shoot yet if that makes any sense um I'm I'm just growing in my deer hunting and stuff like that, and I'm getting to the point of I want to kill a more mature deer. It's not necessarily about the size. I mean, don't get me wrong, you know, when I because when people say that, I'm like, you telling me if a three year old 160 inch deer walked out, you're not going to shoot it? No. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you get what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm going to shoot a 160 inch three year old if it happens to happen. Yeah, yeah, you get what I mean. But, um, what I'm saying is though, is, is I, I'm, I'm getting more to the point of like, I'd like to, to find a deer and go after it if I can and, and stuff like that. Um, and everything, but back to the cam checks, I got a, a, a great group of does that's using the property. I got some great, um, bucks that are using the property. Um, I'm running four cameras right now on the property on that piece and so um i need to go out and put out a couple more i got a couple more that i need to put out in a couple of different places but i still have standing corn there right now it'll be cut probably into september into october and that always changes things for me but you know um that's basically my cam check uh I don't really know. I don't really have anything that I'm like, yes, that's the one I want to shoot. What about you? So I got some, I didn't have nothing hardly on camera all summer. But I, like I said, my camera down in the bottom, which is typically where I have some bigger, better deer, um, you know, the 400 yards down in the bottom, past, down in my, from my house. 
uh, it died in the camera died, like it got water in it and died in about June. And so I stopped getting pictures and I just put a new camera out there about three, three or four weeks ago. And when I did that, I started getting a picture of a nice seven pointer was the only buck I was really getting a picture of then. And then, uh, we went to the beach last week, come back and I had, I got, I've got started getting a bunch of pictures of some bucks. I had to put some minerals out right before we left for the beach and they started hitting the minerals really good. Um, and so I've got three bucks right now that are on my list of potential shooters. It's got the big seven pointer, a big six pointer and a 10 pointer. And they've only the seven pointer he's been on there, you know, since I've got the camera back up and running. So he's been on there for about three weeks, about every couple of days, uh, the six pointer and 10 pointer just showed up this past Thursday. So I'm hoping they kind of stick around. Um, but I put corn out, finally put some corn out. I was really reluctant to do so because of the price of corn this year. But as of right now, I've got, I've got my, got three bucks, but I've had, a, I had actually quite a few bucks on there, a bunch of two year, two and a half year olds and a couple spikes. And I actually, for the first time in the, this is my fourth year hunting this for the first time in four years, I'm actually getting a, a group of does down there in the bottom early season. And I never see those down there hardly ever. So it's kind of actually, I think that's a good thing. Um, but yeah, it's pretty, pretty good camera check for me. I've got at least two bucks that I know that I want to shoot. I'm just hoping that they stick around and show back up because they've only showed up once. So it's kind of like I got a picture of them, but it's like, are they going to come back? But we'll see. Yeah. So did you only get like, was it only one time that they showed up or was it multiple days? It was just one, one time so far, but the big six, which is probably my top target right now. He showed up. Yeah. He showed up Thursday morning, um, with the seven pointer that's in there a lot. So I think he might be running with them. And the first picture I got of that big seven pointer, that was a bachelor group of about seven bucks with him. But the only good picture I got was like a smaller six pointer, that seven pointer. And then the rest of them were kind of out of frame because they didn't have any bait down there or nothing. So they were just kind of walking through and doing their own thing. So he may have been then he may have, he may Mm -hmm. be in that group with him. And then I finally just got a good picture of him. I'm kind of hoping that's the way the 10 pointer, he showed up by himself Thursday morning. There were all these deer were in there Thursday morning. But yeah. he, showed, he showed up Thursday morning by himself at like seven o'clock, and then all the, the seven and the big six were in there at like ten o'clock. But all daylight pictures too. I don't hardly have any night pictures right now, which is typically how it works back behind my house early season. I mean, they're, they're in daylight all the time. So if I can, if they stick around and stay there by opening day, you know, I have a good chance, I think, of getting on one. Yeah. Well, I hope so because you sent me those pictures, and I was like, oh man. Yeah, it's the six-pointer, I mean, he ain't going to score much because he's a six-pointer, but if I kill him, he will be the biggest deer I've ever killed. Yeah, he's he's nice. He's a, I think he's probably like three and a half. Yeah, I think so, too. I think he's, I mean, you can never tell. With, there's nothing defined and feature on these bucks. I can say, oh, this is exactly the deer from last year. But I think the ten-pointer and the six-pointer, I think I have a, a 50% chance of what deer they were last year. And both yeah. of them were two-and-a-half-year-old deer last year. But those are my two top targets right now if they continue to show back up. But we'll keep you posted on that. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Well, let's get into scouting and talking about how to scout and all that good stuff. Um, So, like I said, you know, some of this stuff might be pretty basic, but we want to cover it from top to bottom the best that we know how to. So, uh, basically, I'm going to start out with what is scouting? Um, Scouting, you know, to me, is going out on foot and 
and walking your property and looking for as much stuff that you can find that can relate you to the deer, uh, you know, such as deer sign, which could be tracks, you know, old rubs, trails. If you see deer, beds, you know, scouting and, and all that. And what you do is you, 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 when you scout is you take that stuff and it gives you knowledge on how to hunt or where to set up and stuff like that. Yeah, I would agree. That's a, that's a, basically just getting in there and finding deer sign and trying to figure out how they are traveling through your particular piece of property. Um, you can about guarantee here in North Carolina, if you own any kind of block of woods, I mean, it don't matter if it's half an acre to a hundred acre block of woods or a field or whatever it may be. 90% of the time you're going to have deer using it as, in some sort of fashion. So scouting is trying mm-hmm. to get out there on foot and figuring out how are the deer using it? What evidence can I take? It's kind of like being a detective going out there and figuring out, taking up picking up clues and figuring out okay what can put you in the best position to get a get a deer down on the ground yeah and and when what we're going to talk about with scouting is you can scout like bradley said a small piece of land to a big piece of land um you know even if you only have 10 acres you can still go out and scout it and figure out different things about how the deer are using yeah. your property uh, you know obviously if you have 100 acres you can scout it and and figure out things i love the smaller pieces that's my i just love it because deer typically tend to use it in one way um if you're like before i got this 20 acre block which is still small it i was hunting four acres behind my parents house and you know it took me four or five years of hunting that to really hone down a good spot to hunt and and figure out how the deer were using it but it, it's and that's on a four acre piece and so you get a yeah. hundred acre piece it takes it's not just a one time and done deal i mean it's year after nope. year after year one the deer are always changing what they're doing through that property definitely because trees yep. are falling and things are changing but the property changes yeah. the properties <laughs> around you change houses being built you know land being cleared all that stuff can change how the deer react to your property so let's start out with below that um when should you scout i don't i think you should start scouting when deer season ends yeah Uh, you know for us deer season ends always on january 1st so after that if you can get in the woods and and walk around you can see how the deer are using it you know towards the end of the season by doing that and then you can scout it you know come springtime and then summertime is when i really think that you should really start to scout um you want to try to do as much scouting as you can before the season starts and the reason for that is is you know putting pressure on deer and you know spooking deer and stuff like that because you're you're literally walking through everything yeah um my goal is always to at least give myself a month before season starts to make sure that i've walked the property at least one good time before the season starts then you kind of have your setups and you're like okay i've got you know don't always have your setups in that month time period but i i I like to have my setups with that month left and you're like okay i can stay out of the woods for a month let them let them Mm -hmm. do whatever for a month and then i you know surprise them the day opening day and I'm not saying don't scout during the season because there are times that it's not going to hurt to go in and scout. Um, you just have to do it very 
uh, strategically. Yeah. With a weapon stuff. in your hand most of the time. Yeah. A lot of times you're a lot of times it's more of like a hanging hunt type of situation where you're like I'm going to scout on my way in and find me a place where yep. I'm going to set up. And and typically I tend to do that even on my 20 acres if I if I'm not seeing the deer like I was want to be seeing them like I say I scouted all summer long. I get on their summer pattern really well but then acorns start to drop yep. and they completely change. You know, yep. it's like okay, I've got to make them I got to make a move here. And so you kind of scout your way through, and then you find a place to set up. And you're like, "All right, this is where I'm. This is where I'm going to sit today." And you're yep. there in your hunting spot, and you've scouted. So then we're going to go into like where where you should scout on your property, and it for one thing is it where is kind of very broad because you can scout your entire property. Uh, you know, that's not a bad idea is to walk every square inch that you possibly can to find out everything. But I, what I like to do is get a map, you know, whether it's a paper map or uh, me and Bradley, we both use hunt stand. Um, so you got an aerial view of the whole piece of property. And from there, I like to look that over before I step foot on it to really find key places to focus on especially on a bigger piece of property like let's say 100 acres it's going to be tough to walk 100 acres in a day and find everything that you want to find so if you can narrow that down to a specific area of your property that you want to scout today you know you can do that based on a map yeah and stuff like that or i mean even if you don't have a map and you know the property you can say i want to go scout down by the creek and see how they're crossing the creek and getting to and from and where they're coming from across the creek and stuff like that but a map is a great tool to use for scouting um you know you especially one that's got property lines you know on hunt stand you can uh get the property lines on there so you know where the lines are and all that kind of stuff um and things like that yeah i agree mapping is a huge huge key to to scouting um i'm not the best at reading maps and figuring out like it definitely if it's a new piece of property like i can't take that map and say okay this is where i need to look at today because i can't yeah. read, i can't read a topo map that well and i can't figure out where the swoops and are so but it does help even if you know the property a little bit and the property lines, I think is one of the biggest things staying on your right, yes. staying right where you need to. And then, you know, seeing where the creeks are, seeing where the fields are. Um, because yeah. typically like, I'm not going to go walk through an entire field to figure out what the deer are doing in the field. If I'm going to scout a field, I'm going to sit over it one evening in a glass or something like that. Which I, don't, mm. I don't hunt fields very often because I don't really have access to any. Um, but mainly it's just, you know, breaking it up into smaller pieces. If it is a big piece and, and scouting it, a little bit at a time is the best way. I mean, we scouted mm-hmm. the place that we scouted was it's like a thirty acre block, half of it's a field, and it and still we didn't took, even, yeah we didn't went the whole we didn't even go through the whole thing, and it still took us four hours. Yeah, we could go back and scout it all over again and touch places that we didn't touch and find even more that we didn't find. Mm-hmm. How long were we were out there for? Probably three hours. Yeah, I would say at least. But, um, you know, another great thing is, you know, an app like HuntStand, you can, you can pin places. So if you find a trail that you didn't know about, you can pin it on the map on your phone. Um, you know, you can 
also be looking over the map to look at access points. Um, like Bradley said, contour maps are great too to see how the terrain runs and stuff like that. Even before you step foot on the property, you can learn a lot about the property. Um, like uh, in the video, which we said on our map, it was actually taken in the winter time, so you could see what was like the pines and stuff because yeah. they were still green. Yeah, that's so you know that that's pines and hardwoods were behind it. Yeah, that's a big key, being able to see the trees and being like, okay, here's a pine thicket. Here's, and you can kind of tell too when there's thick cover, like when it's real thick, mm -hmm. and when it's you know more yep. um, older hardwoods and stuff like that. So that really helps looking at a map, knowing because I mean. For hunting, for hunting wise, like you're not going to be able to. A lot of times, you're not going to hunt pine thickets. You're not going to hunt in the really thick stuff. But you got to, you know, walking through them is great. So knowing where they're at and stuff like that, it's it's big. Mm -hmm. Um, and also, you might can even just by looking at a map. Um, oh, you can eliminate. Like yeah. for instance, like Bradley was saying, a field. You know, if there's, if you're on a, let's just say a hundred acres and there's a 20 acre field on it, you can maybe scout that outside of it, you know, walk around the field, but you're not going to really scout down the middle of it. So you can eliminate stuff. Or if you know that there's a house over on the right side, you don't want to be walking right up on the house and stuff like that. You know, there's just, you can eliminate ground before set stepping foot step on it on. as well yep and yep. that's a big thing definitely when you got a bigger piece so when when you're once you get to that point you've, you've gone through your map what are you looking for when you get boots on the ground yeah um so you're you're looking for for deer sign that's going to be like the first thing i'm really thinking about is let's walk around and see if i can find some tracks see if i can find some old buck rubs see if i can find the food source that they might be eating if there's one on the property or even if there's one on a neighboring property you can then know okay the food source is on the north end of this property so that's where you know the food i'm thinking more of they're using that probably more mm -hmm. in the early evenings or in the evenings and the mornings before they go back to bed and and stuff like that. So, you, you know, you're going to be looking then for trails, pinch points, bedding areas are things you're going to look for. And, and see, those are things that you can't see from a map. Yeah. My, those are things you've got to go you gotta and put get eyes on. on. You've got to get on the ground. My biggest thing, so for years and years and even to this day, one of the easiest things I look for when I go in is I'm looking for deer trails. If you've ever yep. been in a cow pasture, you know, cows do this travel the same corridor over and over again, and they leave hardcore trails in the middle of a pasture. And you're like, well, here's yep. a cow trail. Same thing in the woods. Deer travel the same paths over and over and over again, and they're traveling these trails. So if you're just new to getting into hunting and you're just trying to figure out, I don't even know what half the stuff you're talking about is, go in the woods and look for game trails. And yep. then when you start doing that, follow them and walk those game trails, see yep. where they lead. A lot of times they'll break off into three or four and if you find a spot like that, you know, you, that's a, you know, there's got a, most likely there's a pinch point right there. And there's a reason why those four trails converge back down to one. Yep. And so that, that you're looking for things like that because that like, and you can start looking at trails and you'll find pinch points without even knowing what a pinch point was. Cause for years, I never knew what a pinch point was, but that four acres that I mentioned earlier, the place that we hunt on it 
we hunt a pinch point and it's yep. perfect. And I didn't know what a pinch point was, but I knew there's one deer trail that goes through here. And if I hunt the other side over there, there's six deer trails. So I'm like, I'm going to hunt the one deer trail because it's way easier. I can set up and shoot on one trail way easier than I can on six. And so it, the biggest thing in my head when I'm scouting is I'm looking for deer trails and you're looking for fresh poop on those deer trails, you know, fresh droppings, fresh uh, tracks, things like that. And, yep. and it'll help a lot. I mean, a lot of times you'll run on, run up on scrapes and stuff like that and you end up running up on rub lines and then you that'll start to, you know, narrow it down. Like, okay. If there's a rub line here, you know, bucks are using this trail. If there's a scrape here, bucks are probably using this trail. Yep. So that's a I mean, that was, that was spot on right there, Bradley. Um, and you know, also your trails are going to, you know, tell you how the deer are traveling through the property. Um, you're going to, you can, if you like Bradley said, jump on the trail and, and just walk the trail. You might run into the bedding area. You might run into the food source. So if you run into the food source, you can say, well, if I hunt on this food source, there's a very good chance that if a deer walks out here, it's going to walk out on that trail right there. From that direction. Yeah, and and then you're you know looking for tracks, looking for d- the direction of tracks mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, and the reason why you're looking for the direction of things, and so in my head, you're thinking, uh, if you go to most properties, trails are a lot of, like, say, take my the 20 acres that I hunt behind here. There's two directions trails run. They run north to south or they run east to west, basically, um, the way my property sets up. And so if, they're, if you're down by the creek bottom, they're running. It's basically east to west. I'm not quite that. But And then, you know, they also run north to south towards the creek. And what you can use that for is, one, figuring out, you know, where they're coming from and where they're going, but also hunting, like, what winds you want to hunt it. So you're like, okay, I've got a northwest wind. Well, you pick a trail where they're going to be traveling at a direction that's opposite of that wind. And that's a big key, too, um, that most people don't even think about, like, trying to find these areas and, you know, access points is another one we're going to get to. But as you're looking for this, you're looking, you know, trying to find areas that you're going to hunt. That's why you're scouting. You're looking for areas where you can set up. So while you're doing that, think of, okay, what kind of wind do I need to hunt this and what direction will the deer be traveling when they use this trail? That's exactly right. That was a, that was big key right there. Um, so let's, let's go through like a scenario for say, so if you're scouting and you find um, some beds, what what are you taking from that? Taking that it's a bedding area one. <laughs> that, <laughs> um, but no, what, see, I typically try not to hunt bedding areas. Most people, I mean, you can hunt bedding areas, and I try and get close to bedding areas because the closer you are to the bedding area, you have a better chance of seeing that deer in daylight. Um but I don't like to get up in the bedding area because then your access is a lot harder because you're going to most likely there's deer are going to be in that bedding area as you're trying to get into your deer stand, which is, say, 30 yards from a bedding area. Um, so what I'm taking from that is, OK, if they're bedding here, one, I'm trying to figure out why they're bedding here. Um, are they using this bed on a specific wind? Are they using this bed? Because um, they're not going to bed in the same bed every single day all the time. Um, they have different beds throughout. You know, a buck's court has a core area and say that core area is 10 acres. Well, he could have six different bedding areas in that 10 acres and so you're trying to figure out not take that and be like okay, i try and figure out why he's using when he's using that bedding area and that'll help me figure out where i need to set up and you know how far i need to get off of that bedding area depending on access and how close cleanly i can get in to set up and and get a shot on that deer when he steps up 
Yes, I agree 100%. And also, I think a great thing to do, if you find an empty bed, get down eye level as a deer would be if it was laying in that bed and look around and see what they can see. Because then you can think about, okay, if a deer, let's say there's a buck I'm after and this, and he happens to be bedded right here, how can I get to my stand without him detecting me from right here? I can be able to see. So now I know what he can see. And if their wind direction, what wind direction is he going to be in that bed? will help also because if he's in a bed even though he can't see you but you're walking you know yeah and the wind's blowing straight to him from there he's going to smell you and be like oh nope i'm out of here typically how a deer will set up in a bed is they'll set up with their eyes facing a certain direction so they can see you know 180 degrees in front of them and then they've got the wind blowing over their back so they can smell 180 degrees behind them Mm. so typically they try and set up where they have a 300 i mean it's not always going to be 360 degrees but that's you know an ideal deer bed is if they had 180 degree eyesight in front and 360 in the back i mean 180 smell scent in the back so they could you know they've got that so you're trying to figure out you know how you can get around that because i mean there's going to be he maybe he's dipped in a bottom or somewhere you know on a hillside and you can get on the other side of that hillside and walk in and, and break you know not be in his sight or smell yep so if you find if you find a a rub line or let's even say a single rub <clears throat> let's just say you find a rub whether it's a rub line or or just one rub what what are, what are you taking away from that? Okay, so typically in my head, deer lay rubs down in their breeding zones, <clears throat> or you know it's kind of like a dog peeing on things. They use it to mark their territory. Um, so if you start seeing rubs in a specific area, you can say, okay, this, there's a buck here that's claiming this is his, and that this is his zone where he's. So you can set it up. How how is he coming into this area? And you you know it's better when you can find a, a rub line or you know not even just a rub line, just a bunch of rubs together. Like back in my woods, it's a rub circle almost. And so it's like, okay, how are the deer get? Why are they coming here? Why are they slaying this? Why do they want this territory for the rut? And it, you can use that information to figure out how you can set up and be there when they come back checking for dose because that's what they're doing is you know they're marking that territory because when the pre-rut comes and they start getting ready to breed they're going to this is going to be some of the first places they check for a doe and heat and they're going to come cruising through those because a lot of times they'll they'll lay rubs on ridge lines and they'll, they'll or you know near doe bedding areas and that means it just basically means that they're coming back to check for does in my opinion that's how i see it. so you start using that information as you know that's a place that you might want to be come pre-rut <clears throat> yep um it's the same thing with scrapes as well that's a, scrapes and rubs are a big way that deer communicate and even does use scrapes so if y'all didn't know this deer have i don't even remember how many glands on their body but it's quite a few and they use the different scents for those from those glands to communicate with each other and say hey i've been here you know, this is me right here. <clears throat> and that's, you know, that's just one way that deer communicate. Um, if you can find a, a, a community scrape, that's a great place to hunt because a lot of deer will tend to use that area. <clears throat> um, just, you know, 
minute details like that can tell you a whole lot. So let me, let's go into like this. So if you find, um, uh, uh, let's say a land feature, like a Creek, what, what, what are you looking for on a Creek? Yeah. Look how they're using it. Um, are they using that Creek to walk down in the, like, is it a dry Creek most of the time? And are they using that as, you know, the path of least resistance to get to and fro or is it a creek that's got a lot of bit of a lot of water in it and they're using that to drink water and differentiating those types of things and then figuring out where they're crossing the creeks because they're going to cross the creeks uh creek is a harder thing for them to just they can't you know there's most of the time when you have a creek you're not going to have so you take a field deer going to walk you go to the edge of the field and you will see a thousand trails that go through that field. They're not going to have any rhyme or reason how they do it because it's just wide open and they can walk anywhere. You have a creek, there's going to be specific spots that they want to cross. So you start trying to find those specific spots that they want to cross or if they're walking down in the creek, you know, find why, you know, how they're getting down into the creek bottom and stuff like that. And that gives you, it's a natural pinch point of where they're crossing and where they want to go. And it gives you a really good place to set up. Okay. All right, I'm kind of liking this scenario thing. This is kind of fun. Um, so let's say you find, let's say you find a field that isn't a crop field. So it's not a food field. Like, okay, the, I have a couple of those on my property. Mm-hmm. What if you come up to a very, like, let's say a small field in the middle of the woods that's not a crop field? What, what, what do you? So let's say you walk up to it and you're like, oh man, this looks good. What are you going to look for? How you can get a tractor back there to plant a food plot. <laughs> no, typically, if you have a green source, it doesn't matter. If there's if there's sunlight, you're going to have green food in that. Um, clover will grow wild. Um, you don't have to plant clover. I mean, it just. I mean, my backyard's clover. I didn't never plant clover in my backyard, and so typically you're going to have things like that that grow in these little fields, and deer are going to use them as a natural food source. And so you're trying to find entry and exit points to this field. Definitely if it's a smaller field in the woods, because if it's a smaller field in the woods, they're going to come through that field the way they're most comfortable. And they're going to leave that field the way they're most comfortable. So then again, you kind of still have natural pinch points. You know, maybe there's an uh, open gate. Maybe it used to be an old goat pasture and the thing's a half an acre and you got an open gate and the rest of it's fenced in. Well, they're going to walk through that open gate to get in the field. And it, it makes you be able to hunt that field with a bow 10 times easier because you're like, okay, I know where these deer are coming into this little field because i can guarantee you they're feeding in it definitely early season you know when it comes later in the season they're still probably feeding in it maybe the maybe a better place during later season because it may be the only food source but early season you know they're when the when the clover and stuff is still green in that field they're definitely going to be feeding in it hardcore also another thing i'd like to throw in there is when you're finding these situations these scenarios and stuff like that let's say you find a a trail that crosses a creek or something which we've already said this but think about so you find a place that you'd be like man that might would be a good place to set up the one of the first things that goes into my mind okay if i can set up here is there a good tree and if i can find a good tree to set up on or if you're going to put it on a blind whatever if i can find a place to set up what wind do i need to be sitting in this spot um, because a deer's nose is second to none of one of the best in the world. <laughs> and that's how they smell out 
the predator before they see them probably nine times out of ten so you know wind i think is a big thing yeah that is and that's yeah. When you're hunting little fields like that and stuff too, it's it's a huge thing because I mean, even though they say you do have that natural pinch point of a gate, doesn't mean the deer are going to come in that way always. And but if yep. you're hunting, say the corner of a field, and you have that wind blowing back in, you know, into the woods, you know, it doesn't matter. They could come out, you know, 290 degrees anywhere in that field, and you're still going to be good. Yeah, wind is huge, and it's huge in the woods. It's a lot harder to hunt in the woods with wind because. One, a lot of times you get bottoms and a swirly, which you can get that in the field too if it's down in a bottom. But yeah. also in, a, in the woods, you know, if you're not set up just right and you've missed where they're missed their trail, I mean, they could come through that woods. Definitely like where I hunt, it's a bunch of big, big old oak trees and maple trees. And so, I mean, there's not a whole bunch of natural pinch points where I'd like to set up. So the deer can come literally from 360 degrees around me. And Yep. <clears throat> so... We did a couple of scenarios, so let's just let's just go back real quick on things that are going to be attractive to me when I step foot on a piece of property. Uh, if I can find bedding areas, deer sign, food source is big. Food source is a big thing because mm-hmm. um, deer's got to eat. Deer doesn't have to use a certain trail, but a deer's got to eat. Yeah. So food source is big. Um, bedding areas, food source, trails, sign, you know, old sign, new sign, that kind of thing, tracks, um, direction of travel, all that kind of stuff is things that I'm really looking for when I go into a property, whether it's the first time I've stepped foot or the hundredth time I've stepped foot. Those are the things I'm looking for. Every single time I go to scout. Let me ask um, you a question. Yep. So when you go in and you find all of this sign, you find bedding areas, you find food sources, you find, you know, a bunch of trails and tracks and rubs. And But you look at it, say you walk into my woods and they're all like trails. I mean, there's deer sign everywhere. And you're like, okay, I found all this sign, but I'm still dumbfounded on how to set it up. What's your attack on that? Okay, well, basically, when you go probably, when there's way too much sign, let's put it that way. Like when you go into a place and there's way too much sign, and you're like, I have no idea how to set up on this. Um, that's where I would say that trail cameras probably would come into a big play, but which we can start to touch on that. But I would say I would throw up as many trail cameras as I could on different trails and different areas that I really feel like that I'm wanting to set up on to maybe get a better idea from when I'm not there of how the deer are moving through the area. But another thing is if I really like to stay out of the woods until deer season, but if let's say deer season comes opening day comes and I'm still like, I don't know. I don't know where to set up exactly. I'm going to pick what I think might be the best spot for the for the situation and for, you know, what the weather's doing and, and all that kind of stuff. And I'm going to do more of a, uh, a scouting sit, yeah. you know, um, and just sit and watch, you know, and I mean, if the opportunity comes, then it comes, but that's a good way to, to sit. And if you get blown out the, on the three deer at different times, try to walk in and every time they try to walk, sorry, that was my, <laughs> my dog, <laughs> 
and you know, and every time that deer tries to walk in, they're walking in downwind. You, you can say, okay, well, I definitely don't need to sit this, yeah. especially in that wind, because it seems like the deer are really coming from this way. Or if you sit there and then let's say you just see the deer, you, they're not in bow range or anything like that, but you can see how the deer are traveling and using the property during daylight. Let's say, yeah, that's and what stuff. I, that's what I think. Is what I was going to say. It's the biggest key is observation sits. You get yeah. in there, you know there's a bunch of deer using your property. You go pick the best best spot that you think I can get in here and get out of here undetected. I can sit here without being undetected. You take your bow. You wait till deer season. You take your bow, and you go sit. And that's what I've done back here behind the house. It's taken four, four years to kind of pinpoint where I want to sit, and it changes yeah. every year. But yeah, and a good observation place is a place that you can see a lot. Yep, see a lot. You know, and and it might not even be in a place that you think you can kill something. But that's the point of an observation sit, like you said, get in, out, undetected, and without blowing out the area. So if you can see, like, let's say, for instance, your property, you know, up at the top, you can see a really long ways because it's big oaks and it's pretty open woods. So you just slip in the edge of the property right there climb a tree or whatever just sit against the tree yeah. anything where you can see a lot and that will tell you yeah I, I do this a lot in december so my property tends to every december i tend to stop getting pictures of my deer um very like i say all october november i'm getting pictures of a buck and i get him you know every three days december rolls around and it's like my bucks just disappear and it's never fails. The past three years, every December, I'll go sit in the stand that I have placed on top of the ridge, but not really a ridge, but on top of the hill, and I can see 200 yards once the leaves are gone, and I just sit there, and I take a weapon, but I'll just sit there, and I'm like, okay, and it's not down in the bottom where I typically get my big buck pictures, but I'm like, if they're, they're using it down there, maybe maybe they're not down there anymore, and they've moved up here, and I just sit, and I see, and I'm doing this in the middle of deer season, when I, I do it a lot when I tend to lose where where my deer are, if I lose track of them, or if I bust them out of an area, you know, go sit somewhere else where I can see a ton, and be like, okay, I've got to find something, you just give me a sign, and a lot of times, like, I did it last year, didn't find a buck, but I found out where deer were using you know they had been pressured so much by december there's this pine thicket and i watched four or five deer that that sit come out of the pine thicket in this in a one off one trail and i'm like i guarantee you most of my deer have moved into this pine thicket where they can you know travel undetected and then you know i just happen to see a mom and two babies come out of the pine thicket so it just it just gives you that information that you can't always pick up i mean you can pick it up with trail cameras as well but trail cameras only give you a short glimpse of what the deer are doing is when you're sitting there you can you can see them as long as you can see them yep and you can see how they're moving, which directions, and all that kind of stuff. So let's let's jump over since we started talking about. It, let's talk about trail cameras. So you know, trail cameras. At least here in North Carolina, there are some states that are starting to outlaw them. But trail cameras can tell you so much because they're taking pictures of stuff when you're not there. They're taking pictures twenty four seven. So you can see, you know, if you get put up a trail camera, let's say, all right, let's start off here, where you would want to uh, set up trail cameras. I would say I want to set it up on sign. Yeah. Let's take, let's take baiting out of, out of this equation. So we're not going to set up on baiting right now, but we're not talking about that. We're talking about setting up off bait. I'm going to set up on a 
a pinch point yeah, on uh, like a creek where they cross the creek, which is on your property is a great yeah. spot. Which well, I'm sure you probably have a camera set up. Where right I set my camera up when I finally started getting pictures of my big bucks this year. I set it okay. up on a spot. I'm like, they cross the creek right here. Let's see what's here. And what do you yep. know? I started getting a ton of pictures of deer uh, and bucks. So, pinch points are a great spot. I think to, it's one of the best things is pinch points. Yeah, because it it you're going to have a lot of deer activity right there. So you'll be able to see from that trail camera. You can probably see which direction they're coming yeah. from. In, in certain situations, whether it's morning, evening, you know, middle of the day, whatever, you can you can pick up a lot from stuff like that. Um, also, I, I like to set up a trail camera on a food source. If I can see a trail coming to a food source, it's, again, a great place that a lot of deer are going to be moving to. And if you can set it up on a field, facing out of the field where you can get a deer, you know the deer are coming maybe in. At least some of them are coming in at a certain spot. You can set it up right there, or if there's a scrape or something like that, set it up on a scrape. But set it up to where you can, when it does take a picture of a deer that's right in front of it, you can still see a lot of the field. Yeah, Um, because there's several times I've gotten pictures, and I've been like, man, there's four deer back there in the back. I'm getting pictures like that at the creek where I'm on a a pinch point. You know, They come across the creek, there's trails everywhere. They come down to the pinch point, across the creek, and I'm getting pictures of deer right in front of my camera, and then behind them across the creek, there's 14 deer in the picture all over the place. Yep. Um, Another general. Yes. I have a scrape, a community scrape that they open up every right up and every year i put a camera on it and every year i get a ton of bucks and i'm not getting down in the bottom or at the top and they're just walking this right by this scrape and they'll hit it and and so that's another good place it's a place they're going to come to over and over and over again yep which scrapes aren't huge right now but they'll they'll be coming soon um and and some there are scrapes that are used all year long um and and even putting out a mock scrape right now isn't a bad thing to do you can put out a mock scrape and put a camera over it and and stuff like that but that's something for a different day (laughs) let's not get it all into that but so where we're putting cameras the food source pinch points um if you can get a trail coming out of uh some bed and cover put it on that trail coming out of bed and cover to see what's actually bedding back there. If you got does, if it's a doe bedding area, you can figure that out because it's just nothing but does that are coming out. Um, you know, or if it's a, if you got the bachelor groups of bucks keep come out of there, you know that there's probably bucks bedding back there. Yeah. Um, really just, any you know, high traffic area. Exactly. Where they're going to be, Bingo. you know, you're going to have not just any high traffic area, because I mean you can set a camera over six different trails, but you're only going to get good pictures of the closest one. So high traffic areas where you know, okay, I'm I'm going to see a lot of deer, and they're going to move in front of the camera here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is the best situations for trail cameras right now. Yeah. Um. And like you know, we're we're really trying to focus on the preseason scouting here. Uh. And, and what to do before opening day. Yeah. Now, let's. I kind of want to switch gears at this point. How okay. are you using your preseason scouting for the rut? That is, that's good, and that's something that I'm not. I'm not that good at. I, I'm. Just, I'm just going to admit it. Um, it. If so, for the most part. If you can find an area that does 
are using hot and heavy, they're not really leaving. Yeah. Your does typically are going to stay there. Your does don't really move to go find bucks. Your bucks move to go find does. So if you can find a core area that does are using, you might not, you might have a trail camera set up there and there's nothing but does on it right now, but come, you know, rut, your bucks are going to be cruising through there looking for a hot doe. Yeah. I, I think that your biggest thing is looking for rubs and scrapes. Um, those are telltale signs. Bucks use those during the rut or the pre-rut. They use those during the pre-rut. And the, I, in my personal opinion, I think the pre-rut is more fun to hunt than the actual rut itself. Um, once you get to the rut, the bucks, they get on lockdown. You won't see them for weeks at a time. They may have moved out of there. But the pre-rut, you know, you can about guarantee you if you've got six, two bucks on camera that you want to kill, they're going to be in your area for the for pre-rut for the most part, for the first half of it anyways. And they're going to be looking for does that are ready to be bred early. And so you're looking in those areas where, you know, they're going to be cruising for those does or high, high doe areas. But, they're, you know, they're going to come back. They're going to be checking scrapes. They're going to be laying down more rubs. If you start seeing fresh rubs be laid down in your woods while you're hunting through the season, which, I mean, this is still not preseason scouting, but you can kind of tell if they've laid rubs down in an area for three years in a row, you can about guarantee they're probably going to lay rubs down again this year. So use that old more. The old sign is what you're looking for during preseason scouting to help you during the, the pre-rut and the rut time. It's more of the yes. old stuff. Buck bedding areas too, though. They, those will change as they change their pattern. But a lot of times, like if, if a buck has a core area of 10 acres, you know, he's going to use those same bedding areas through the pre-rut and he's going to use those bedding areas and he's going to, but he's going to start traveling differently. He'll leave his bed and instead of going to a food source, he's going to start going from his bed to a doe bedding area and he's going to use a different travel trail to get there. So, you know, things like that, if you can find a buck bed and you're like, okay, well, I know here's a buck bed and there's a doe bed now 300 yards to the right find a trail that goes from the you know that you know that he'll find an area that he'll kind of walk you know cruising for does that way and stuff like that another thing that i thought of when scouting you know talking about uh bucks and everything so when you're scouting if you can find an area on your property that isn't pressured from let's say surrounding properties as well as yourself. Like if you got a little field in the back of the property that is surrounded by 300 acres on the other side or something like that, you know, it's not houses right there or anything like that. Once the hunting pressure kicks up, them bucks are going to go to an area that they don't have to deal with nobody. And those are good things to keep in mind for yeah later on in Definitely the season. here in north carolina when the when november hits you can guarantee you there's going to be double the amount of hunters in the woods yep. and the bucks know it and they're gonna oh, yeah. they're gonna the does will push back and the bucks will push back and they're gonna go to those areas you know kind of like sanctuary areas and yep. they're gonna they're, that's where you're gonna find them more often than not yeah so once you've been scouting you're you're ultimately thinking about where should you set up where should you set up, to, whether you're trying to kill a doe or buck or whatever? You, you're wanting to find a place that your deer are going to be traveling during daylight. And so you want to, if you can find a pinch point with a trail 
coming from a bedding area going to a food source, you're you, that is. I mean, that is a lot of it all right there in yeah. one. That's the not saying thing. that you're always going to find that, but if you can, that's what you're, that's ideal. And you're looking for, yeah. I mean, you're looking for the same things that you're, you, the places you set up a trail camera is about the same type of places you want to yeah. hunt, but you're yeah. trying to find ones that they're using in daylight, which is a big key. Now, early season yeah. here in my woods, I get mainly daylight pictures and a lot of people probably do early season. They're not pressured. You know, they're, they're moving in daylight there. I mean, I still get a night pictures here and there every once in a while, but a lot of times it's daylight. But the pressure, once they start getting pressured, you know, they're going to start leaving the bed, you know, later in the afternoon, right before dark. They're going to start coming back to bed right before dark. So you're going to want to get as close to that bed area as you possibly can and still have good access because that's, you know, that's going to be your best bet of getting them on their feet in daylight until the pre-rut comes when the bucks are cruising all day long. Yep, exactly. Uh, and then on top of that, you, this is a very, very big key is your access yeah trying to find a place that has all that that you can get to without being detected if you can get to a place without passing where the deer beds or if there's deer already you know using a certain area you know let's say early in the afternoon you don't want to pass by there or be in that area you want to you want to be able to get to your spot undetected and that is very big so for example the video we just made that piece of property it's a big field the big field is closest to the road which is where we have to park to walk in if you go hunt that in the morning time i can guarantee you that field is going to be full of deer because that's where they're eating so you walk around say you're hunting a stand that's in the back corner of the field like we typically do or used to do you have to walk around that entire field to get to that stand and yep. every single deer that's in that field is now seeing you walk through with your headlamp yep. shining through and you're going to blow them all out of there. Terrible access. So we're trying yep. to come up with the game plan of how we can get back in there without having to blow every deer up in the morning time for sure. In yep. the afternoon, you're a lot better. You know, you can get in a lot easier. Yep. They're not to the food source yet. They're back in the woods. If you're hunting the edge of the field, yep. great access morning time though. Not great. Same yep. thing with my woods. Another, it's another, it's a tactical nightmare when it comes to access. I mean, it's unless the deer are all across the creek and nowhere close, I'm going to blow deer out of there every time I walk down through the woods because I have to walk straight down the middle of the woods to get to it because I don't have access from the neighboring properties or, you know, the backside. It's a it's yep. a, a wooded lot that's blocked by other wooded lots and a creek, and I can't get to that creek without going through somebody else's property. So it's really hard. So I'm still trying to come up with a way to access that. But that's that's kind of some nightmare of access. You know, great access would be, say, you're hunting a field that backs up to a creek. And you can get to that creek. Say the creek runs behind your house. You can step out of your back door and get down in that creek bed, walk the creek yep. bed all the way up. And then you're standing right there on the edge of the creek. And you hop up and boom, you're in your stand. And there's a field over here in front of you. And you haven't blown nothing out because you're using to get it through that creek. The wind's consistently blowing a certain direction down through that creek bottom. That would be a yep. good access point. Yep, and also, like you were saying, the wind is always keep in mind the wind because I've said it once, but the deer, I think the biggest thing that a deer uses to protect themselves is their nose. I would say that probably the majority of failed access points is due to bad wind at some point through your access. Yep. Yep, that's exactly right. So, pretty much, 
you know, which I said this in the video on YouTube, when you're scouting, the whole, the whole shebang is a big puzzle. If you think of it like that. And when you're scouting, you're collecting pieces to this puzzle mm -hmm. that you don't have until you go scout. You're collecting those pieces. And when you can put a good chunk of that puzzle together, you have a great yeah. chance of accomplishing what you went in to accomplish. Yeah. I would agree. The more puzzle pieces you can gather preseason, you have yeah. a way better chance of having a great season. But that doesn't mean as your season comes, you are still gathering pieces of that puzzle yep. every time you step in the woods, every time you sit in your stand. Count every sit as an observation sit, whether it's meant to observe or meant to kill. You know, always try to be putting those pieces together because that's what gonna that's what's gonna make you successful. That's why you're a great bass fisherman because no matter what you do, even if I mean you're out there fishing on a tournament day, you're still putting pieces to the puzzle together. So yeah, no, you're exactly right. Well, you ready to do a little Jesus? Yeah, let's do it. So. All right, so me and Bradley, we didn't really talk about what we we're going to do for Jesus' time, but I am going through a very, very tough time. Not a bad tough time, but a very tough time in my life, and I really wanted to do one on trusting Jesus because I'm just I'm struggling right now with us selling our house and we don't have a new house to move into yet and we close in a week and all that and I'm I'm struggling. <laughs> I mean there ain't no other way to, to put it and I know I just I need to keep trusting trusting God, which that's what me and my wife we both keep telling each other this. But it's not it's not easy because you want to be in control yeah. of everything. And that's where I struggle. Yeah. So we got, I'm actually going to read two passages. This is the first one. Um, Mark 4, 35 through 41. Um, it's a little bit lengthy, so just bear with me. Sorry, my cat's trying to jump on the computer again. <laughs> but so thir Mark 4, 35 through 41. On that day when evening had come, Jesus said to them, let us go across to the other side. This is talking about a lake. They were about to, or a, more like an ocean. Um, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he said, and he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? And really cool passage, and I think the biggest takeaway from this is, is at the very beginning of this passage, Jesus said, Let us go across to the other side. Yep. That was his promise. He said, We're going to the other side. And from that moment on, everybody should have been like, All right, we're getting to the other side no matter what. But yep. a storm arose. Everybody freaked out and said, oh, no, we're going to die. Our boat's filling up with water. And that's why he looked at him and said, why are you so afraid? Have you still have no faith? I mean, he was basically saying, look, I told you we were going to the other side. And if I, I didn't have to wake up and calm the storm, we would have still made it to the other side. And that's a hard thing in life because you get to that point where you're just like, you feel like you are sinking. And you're like, Jesus isn't here. He doesn't care. And... 
But in reality, you know, you can go to his word and you can find a promise and you can hold tight to that promise, like the promise of he will with you. He'll never forsake you. Um, You can hold tight to that promise through those storms and you have that faith. It's not an easy task, but that's the moral of the story is to hold on to those promises, because if Jesus says it, it's going to come to pass. Yep. And, you know, like I was saying with us, you know, selling our house and everything, it's an exciting time. It's a, it's a, you know, great time for us. We're we're gonna move on to a new house and you know continue to raise our family there. And I'm excited for that, but I'm also I'm so scared. And me and my wife, we've been praying together about it, and you know, praying on our own about it. And it's still, I'm still like. Because this is this is what it all boils down to. This is what I struggle with: is me as the as the man. I, I, I'm the protector. I got to make sure that everything's going to be okay for my family. And when I don't know where we're going to go, or we know, you know, we have a place to go stay between houses, but it's not ideal. And but that's okay. Because I just got to keep telling myself that Jesus has, you know, we're going to get to the other side. And that's that's what I have to keep telling myself through this. But, you know, I'm just worried, like, about, oh, I don't even really know. Yeah. It's just the uncertainty, the the I guess. And it's the same thing with the disciples on the boat. You know, the fear, they were in the middle of an ocean. Like when When... I hear pastors preach this. They talk about, you know, they're just going to the other side of a lake. Well, they wouldn't have had this type of fear if there was just this other side of a lake. I mean, this is a big body of water. They couldn't see land where they were at. And to them, they were sinking. They they had no idea. Like, they could not see how they were going to come out of this alive. And it's that same type of thing. I mean, it's a scary place to be as a human because you're like, I have no idea. But it comes down to trusting, you know, you feel, you know that God has so told you to, you know, it's time to move to a different place. And you know that, that he said that to you and that you're doing this and you're like, you have to just continue to trust that he is going to be with you through this process. And he's, he, the fear of the unknown is probably the biggest fear that most humans have. Mm-hmm. But I, you know, and that, <clears throat> that goes with, you know, when I changed jobs, it was the same thing. I was like, man, but I'm, I'm comfortable with where I'm at. But at the same time, he's blessed me with this opportunity to move jobs and to to prosper through my career, but I, I had to make I had to trust him, yeah, and and stay on the boat with him, yeah. And he's over there saying, "Why are you so scared? I'm I'm right here." Yeah, exactly. And and that's what I got to keep telling myself and and remembering and 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 what that is 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 my faith. Uh, you know, that's that's me not having faith. Yeah, it is. It's what it's exactly what it is. It's a lack of faith, but it's also not, you know, don't take that as oh, I'm a terrible Christian because I have a lack of faith. It's mm-hmm. a hard thing to do, but it it's that's just, I mean, it all boils down to the point where you just got to get to that place where you're like, no matter what, it doesn't matter if I go homeless, God's still good. And if you continue to have that mindset, and that's a hard mm-hmm. mindset to have, but you know, if all if all else fails, if I were, you know. 
all everything with this house were to fall through, God is still good. He still sits on his throne and he is still working for your good. Um, yeah. And that's, that's where the basis of your faith has to come from. But I kind of, what I had in mind for the Jesus thing was kind of along the line, same lines. Like me and Kelly have just felt, let me just tell you about our day yesterday. So we just felt like we have been at battle the last couple of weeks where like nothing seems to be going right. Everything like it's just, life's just been hard in a sense. Um, mm-hmm. Me and her have had a bunch of quarrels here lately, just about random stuff, like nothing that's important and not, not like knock down, drag out fights, but you know, in the moment it feels like we're about to just get a divorce. It's just what it feels like. And you know, it's just that, that type of going on. And it's all because of just random things. Like, so our day yesterday started out, we you know we didn't have anything to do yesterday, Saturday morning. So we're like, let's just get up chill drink our coffee in bed with the boys and watch tv and you know have a good slow morning so kelly went and actually made us made me and her coffee brought it back to the bed we were just sitting there with the two boys well our two-year-old got started going crazy and was fighting with one of our dogs he jumped on her and made kelly spill her coffee on her well she spilled coffee on her screamed really bad because it was scalding hot so she screamed when she did she flung it everywhere and then it burned me got on the baby and we're all just screaming and crying because we was burned by coffee so that was the start of our day well then Kind of mellowed out a little bit after that. We were doing good. 10 o'clock rolls around. I take Banks down into the woods, put corn out. We come back up. Lunchtime starts rolling out. Kelly goes on her walk. And she she likes getting her walk in because it just make, gives her, it just is one of those things that she just loves to walk up and down our road. And, you know, it just makes the rest of her day go well if she can get in a good walk. And I don't understand that because I'm not a walker, but she likes to do it. <laughs> well, she literally had just started her walk. Banks said that he had to pee. So I pulled his pants down out in the yard because we were shooting bow. And he had ticks all over him. And when I say he had, he had gotten in a bed of these seed ticks or, you know, baby ticks. And he had probably over 60 ticks all over his privates and in his waist. So then it was just a mess. And it took us, she had to come back up from the house from her walk. I was taking care of the baby so she could get all these ticks off. We had to scrape each one of them off individually. And then he's sitting over here on the table. And we have this cake thing on the table. It's got a glass top on it. So when you put a cake in there, you can the glass on well he as he's squirming around because he doesn't like these ticks being picked off of him he knocks the thing over and it just shatters glass all on the floor and then right after that kelly makes her another cup of coffee and puts it down on the table and our baby is sitting in his little bumbo and he spills her coffee again so it was just one of those days where it just felt like nothing could go right and this has been going on this was just one example of our day but this has been going on for what feels like eternity it's been a couple weeks it just feels like every day has just been like this where you just cannot catch a break and I just happened to open my Bible, I think it was yesterday, and I was, my notebook was, I had to keep my notebook like in my Bible, and I opened up to Romans 5, and this is the verses that I read, and it said, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have attained all access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice. And, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, not only that but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us for while we were weak at the time Christ died for the ungodly for one will scarcely die for a righteous person though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die but God showed his love for us that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us since therefore we have now been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God so it was just talking about rejoicing your sufferings and rejoicing your tribulations rejoicing the hard times the times that and not just in like bad days like yesterday but just in everything like rejoicing the stressful moments because 
these moments like this is what produces who you are. Um, and it basically said through all of that, that, you know, we have peace through Jesus Christ. We have our faith through Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for us for every single moment of our life, not just the good ones, but even the bad ones that we, you know, and it just really hit home with me because I was just like, it was where I was at. Like I just felt tested. And I, after that, after I read that, I started paying attention. Um, it actually was two days ago. And then we had our bad day yesterday and yesterday I handled our bad day really well. Kelly was, she had, she actually did too, but, um, and it was every, cause every time something bad happened, I just come to my mind that, these sufferings produce patience. And that's one thing that I really struggle with is my patience. And I was just like, you know, these are the moments that make me a patient person. When when I have to sit here trying to pick and ticks off my son and then he busts glass and I've got to stop and pick up a thousand shards of glass, lock the dogs in a bedroom. And it was just, it was just where I was at. And so just rejoice in your suffering and rejoice in your stress. Rejoice in those moments where you feel like your world's crashing down, like there's storms going crazy and you can't get out of it because God is using those to work things for your good. And in, through all of that, Jesus Christ, it's because of Jesus Christ on the cross that we can have the faith that can get us through those moments. That's so right. When you start to not, when you start to, you know, lose hope and feel like all faith is lost, remember like faith doesn't come from you. Faith comes from the fact that Jesus died on the cross. Like it doesn't come from something that you can just muster up inside of you. We have faith because someone died for us while we were sinners. So just you just need to purr like the cat. Exactly. I hope y'all are enjoying that. She's got <laughs> she's got a stress free life. No, but uh, <laughs> the one thing that keep comes to my mind is I I've, I've prayed it's purring really loud. I'm trying to get her to go away. But the one thing that comes to my mind is like when like when I pray for patience, what ends up happening? A situation arises that I lose my patience yeah. very easily. Where you get and I'm like, to. yeah, and I'm like, God, I'm praying for patience. Well, he's like, yeah, I know. I'm working that. I'm working <laughs> yeah. that out through this situation. Yeah. It's the hardest thing, but it's the best thing. And that's, you can, God could just, you know, speak patience over you and be like, great, I've got patience now. But two months from now, you know, you're not going to have that patience because it wasn't tested in fire. Yeah. And that, the patience that comes through those crazy trials and situations is the lasting patience. Mahi, you're going to have to quit. Well, move her real quick so we can pray. All right. One second. She's not quite gone, but she's a little further away. You pray, and I'll turn this down. All right. All right. Well, let's let's end this out on a prayer. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for bringing me and Bradley together to be able to talk about the outdoors and ultimately talk about you, Lord. I want to pray, God, that that you allow the the people that need to hear this, Lord, whether it be for that for the outdoor about scouting or if it's you know they need to hear this message for you God I hope that you know the the right the right person and the right people are able to, to listen to this God uh, I just want to pray Lord and thank you for these trials and tribulations that you put us through to make us the people that we are Lord and I just want to pray that 
I continue to to keep my faith in you to know that you know whatever situation I'm going through that you're there that you are good and that the outcome will always be good uh, I like to pray over Bradley and Kelly as as they're going just through life really I mean everybody goes through these struggles in life Lord um, I just want to pray over them Lord that that they continue to to have faith as well that that it's all going to be all right uh, I just want to pray over our deer season this year that you keep everybody safe and you help us learn more about you know your creations out there God and that we use that time of sitting in the deer stand alone in the quiet to be able to talk with you and build our relationship stronger with you God uh, again I just want to thank you for this podcast and I want to pray Lord that you use this podcast in whatever way that you see fit God and just thank you for for blessing us with this opportunity to spread your word. In your name I pray, amen. Amen. Yep. That's all, all we got right. for you. Well, don't forget, check us check us out on YouTube. And our YouTube name is HFF Podcast. I, I believe that's it, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. HFF Podcast is the YouTube. So check that out. Be sure to subscri- subscribe, like, leave comments on there. And then, you know, also Instagram, Facebook, we're on there as well. You know, we, we, we have people, uh, comment and message us and stuff. And we love hearing and talking with y'all. And, you know, if you have any kind of questions or anything like that, you know, please feel free to ask us whether it's about the outdoors or about Jesus, you know, we're, we're there to, to help y'all in whatever way we can, uh, so yeah, that's what that's why we like to use the social media. We like to use it to be able to to interact with you guys. So yeah. uh, um, we hope y'all enjoyed today. Hopefully, and, it helps you get some deer this year. I know it helps yeah. every time we talk about it. It's just like I learn more and more. Like some of the stuff exactly. that comes out of my mouth, I'm like, I never thought of it like that. But then it just yeah. comes out of my mouth. I'm like, dang, I'm gonna have to go out there and really actually try that. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But anyways, you want to close us out? Yeah, well, we will holler at you guys next time.